0: He's our speaker, and um, when I spoke to him now, he asked if I got a mail from his office because I asked how he wanted to be introduced. And there were like three important things to have in in his introduction, but I never got the mail. So uh, Steve, Annika, Fleming, I don't know who's going to send me that mail, but I never got it. It's a man with a great humor, for sure. We love listening to him, and he, he's a co-founder and leader of Soul Survivor, uh, which has led, had a huge impact for thousands of young people to meet Jesus and to be equipped to live their lives for him. He's also pastoring the church Soul Survivor in Watford, and he's also a great teacher, as said, with an amazing sense of humor. Uh, and personally, I love listening to him. And I remember the first time I listened to him was on YouTube and he had a sermon about the desert. And even that sermon was with a great sense of humor. So give him a good hand, great hand, Mike Pilavacci.
1: After that introduction, oh, first of all, it's absolutely wonderful. We've got some folk from Finland here uh, because um, I speak Finnish. Um, where are you from Finland? Oh uh, Yes, it's not many of you, but you're loud, aren't you? Mansika um, <laughs> kaku. It means strawberry cake. <laughs> and that might be a word from the Lord to you. See, on Thursday, you can, when it's the offering, you can either give money or. <laughs> um, before I begin, I don't want to spoil the atmosphere, but um, I can't believe in all the hosting and the introductions. Um, they forgot. Um, to, in England, you have to give health and safety announcements, you know, because it's important that we keep people safe. And uh, so I need to say, uh, for your health and safety, and this is for your health and safety, it has been decided that no chocolate is allowed in this auditorium. I rebuke that. if. If you have bought chocolate into this room, you are to bring it to me now for safekeeping. Do I have to ask the Lord for a word of knowledge? Hmm? Okay, I'll give you time. It can happen any time during the next five days. It is great to be here. It's a joy uh, and a privilege to be with you. I've got my phone out in case I get a message from one of my friends while I'm talking to you. What is your name? Daniel. This is a good man. This... Oh, Mm. this is an anointed man. (laughs) Many of us, we want to grow in being more like Jesus and in serving him and in the gifts that he gives us. And I think for that to happen, uh, two things are necessary. And, and one is that we need to have an anointing from heaven. That's what happens to the disciples on the day of Pentecost. <clears throat> in a moment, the Spirit came on them suddenly, at nine o'clock in the morning. And uh, Where are you going? <laughs> number one or number two? Um, one. (laughs) Make sure you wash your hands. Um, At nine o'clock in the morning, the Holy Spirit came and fell on them, and everything changed. They were anointed. But it wasn't just the sudden moment of anointing, important though it was. The other side, the other half, was that they had spent three and a half years with Jesus that made a difference. There was a process as well as a crisis. There was three and a half years with Jesus where he challenged them, he encouraged them, he loved them, he rebuked them, he corrected them, he was committed to them, he forgave them. And both of those things formed the disciples. And I just want to look at the calling of David, the great king of Israel, because both things happened to him. There was the crisis moment and there was the process. We are in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Uh, Saul, the previous king of Israel, had sinned and uh, um, and the Lord rejected Saul, it says. And the Lord said to his prophet Samuel, I want you to go to a little town called Bethlehem, to a man called Jesse, and I'm going to show you one of his sons to anoint as the new king of Israel. Here we go. In 1 chapter, one Samuel 16, um, we read this. They called, they called the sons uh, of David to, to meet, and uh, seven sons turned up. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Now Samuel thought that for a very, very good reason. Because in the Bible, we are taught that the eldest son, the eldest in the family gets the blessing, gets the bulk of the inheritance. And there are very, very good psychological and empirical and physical reasons for that, because everybody knows that the eldest child in a family inherits the best genes, is the best looking, is the most intelligent. Do I hear an amen? Yes, I hear some amens. Amen. You know where I came in my family. And so Samuel thought, That that it had to be um, Eliab. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things men look at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that has been the case ever since human beings were on the planet and especially in these days. If that's ever been true, it's true today. We judge each other on the outward appearance, uh, on looks. Um, no one puts uh, an average photo of themselves on Instagram. You know, we, 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 we make them look better. Uh, it's on how funny you are or how sophisticated you are no one tweets, I've had an ordinary day today. You know, and and every way we judge people, it's by who their friends are, how successful they are, how good looking they are. But that is not how the Lord looks. He looks at the heart. He looks beneath. He looks at at whether there's a humble heart, a teachable spirit, um, a, a heart that that is always yearning to grow and to be more like Christ. Then Jesse called Abinadab, that's the second son, and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, "Has the Lord has not chosen these. And you know, at this point, you know, Samuel was puzzled. Lord, you said it was one of his sons. All seven have passed by, and you've said no to each of them. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is looking after the sheep. Now, don't you get the impression that Jesse couldn't remember his name? <laughs> They're still the youngest. He doesn't call him David. They're still, oh, what's him? Number eight, number eight, number eight. Uh, but he's still looking after the sheep. And do you know? The runt of the litter, the little one, wasn't even invited to the party. Can you imagine? Your seven older brothers are invited to the party, and you're left outside looking after sheep. Samuel said, send for, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. And David was anointed. The one who hadn't even, by human beings, by his own parents, invited to the party. How how delicious was this? In front of his older brother's he was anointed to be king of Israel. I can't think of anything better. But do you know, and the anointing was important. He couldn't have done what he did. He couldn't have been who he was if he had not been anointed. I'm not speaking against anointing. I want as much as anointing as I can get, okay? But equally important was what David did after he was anointed And I want to suggest to you tonight, this was the secret of his life and ministry. And before I tell you, I want you to go on a little fantasy with me, okay? Don't worry, it's not a sexual fantasy or anything like that. But just imagine, if as I'm talking to you now, and most of you are listening, some of you are thinking, how long is he going to take? As all of that is happening... Through that door bursts in Boris, the British Prime Minister, for a few more weeks. And he comes in, and he says, stop the meeting. And then he says, Mike, I need to tell you, Her Majesty has just died. And uh, Charles feels he's too old now to be king. And William... He wants to spend a bit more time with his kids while they're young and there is no way we're going with Harry. (laughs) And so Parliament has just met and they have asked me in one of my final acts as Prime Minister to come to Sweden. (laughs) Near... Yon shopping? Did I get that right? To come to Sweden to ask you, Mike Pillavarchi, to be the new king of England. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! Listen, listen. If that were to happen, much as I love you, do you think I would stay here one second longer talking to you? I would be out of that door. I'd be getting a taxi to the airport. I would get a private jet. And first thing in the morning, I would be at Buckingham Palace measuring up for carpets and curtains. (laughs) Do you know what David did straight after he was anointed to be king of Israel? It is amazing. The first thing he did is he went back to looking after the sheep. And he spent years looking after the sheep. And there's three things about looking after sheep in those days. Because um, he didn't have many sheep, we're told. It was lonely. It was really lonely. He was the only shepherd. Day and night, he was just with sheep. It was boring. There was, the only things he had to talk to were sheep. And there's only so many conversations you can have with sheep. Unless you're from New Zealand, of course. <laughs> it was lonely, it was boring, and it was hidden. There was no Shepherd of the Year competition he could win. You know, whether he was a good shepherd or a bad shepherd, only the sheep would know. And I want to say to you tonight, I believe with all my heart that often it's in the lonely, the boring, and the hidden times of our lives that God prepares us for ministry. He prepares us for the things he has for us to do. And we don't like that. That doesn't sit comfortably with us. Because we are the instant generation. You know, we, we're, the, we're, the, we're the Amazon Prime generation. You know, you order it and it arrives within two hours. We're the, we're the McDonald's generation. You know, if, when I go to a, a McDonald's, which of course I hardly ever do, <laughs> but if I were to ever, and I would order a Big Mac with fries large, and it took them more than two minutes to get it for me, I would be complaining. This is supposed to be fast food. How can this be fast food? What are they doing? Are they killing the cow back there? I'm going to Burger King. Well, I'm going to go to Burger King afterwards anyway, but... (laughs) But, I mean, call this fast food. And I'm complaining if I don't have my meal in two minutes. We are the instant generation. But do you know what? You can have instant Big Mac and fries. You can't have instant spirituality it doesn't work like that. It is superficial. And with McDonald's, and I have no no problem with McDonald's. I (laughs) I had McDonald's on Saturday. Um, But you know what? It's cheap. It's quick. And it doesn't really satisfy. Is it just me? Or after you've eaten a Big Mac, after 15 minutes, you want another one? don't you find that no does anybody find it doesn't matter but and and do you know what and it's not it's not that nutritious you know it's cheap it's quick and it's not actually that good for you but 30 minutes from my home by car There is a restaurant called the Sahara Lounge. And it is a taste of heaven. I go there regularly. George, the head waiter, and I, we are best friends now. Sometimes George hears me before he sees me as I go up the stairs. And he says, ''Is that my friend Michael come to see me again?'' And I say, George, your friend Michael is here. And he says, do you want your regular table? And I say, yes, I sit down. He says, do you want me to give you the menu, or do you want your usual? And I say, George, I will have my usual, which is everything on the menu. (laughs) And my friends who I take are staggered. And all the food is unbelievable. It's Lebanese. It's stunning. It's stunning. But of all the food in the Sahara Lounge, the Sahara Lounge chicken is to die for. No, listen to me. Please don't laugh. This is serious. I'm trying to educate you. The Sahara Lounge chicken, it melts in your mouth you never want it to end it just it just it just sits there and and it's it's tender and it's juicy and it's stunning and it's like oh my goodness oh my goodness <laughs> and and honestly there are times when i've been eating the sahara lounge chicken and And I've closed my eyes and I've thought, am I still alive? Or am I in heaven? Now you may say, what is he talking about? Chicken is chicken. No, chicken is not chicken. There is chicken and then there is Sahara Lounge chicken. It's not the same thing. And once I said, oh, and I've got to get up now. Does anyone have a forklift (laughs) truck? I did it under my own power. Thank you. Listen, listen, this is important. Once I asked George, I said, George, please tell me, what does chef do to the chicken to make it like this? And George said, if I told you, I would then have to kill you and he said i won't tell you the secret recipe but i will tell you chef takes the chicken and he marinates it in his own secret recipe of herbs and spices and oils and i am convinced also in greek yogurt for 3 days and 3 nights he marinates it in this special for 3 days and then he cooks it slowly so slowly, that at the end, it just melts in your mouth. And it is an experience to die for. Here's the message tonight. Don't be a Big Mac Christian. Be a Sahara Lounge chicken Christian. God doesn't want instant spirituality he doesn't want you to be, to be cheap and not nourishing. He wants to take you and marinate you and then cook you slowly so that you taste delicious to a broken and hurting world out there that wants to see reality, that wants to see true, deep love, love for Christ and love for his world. And that happens. In the lonely, the boring, and the hidden place. That's where God does deep surgery in our hearts. That's where God changes us. And we've despised those places. We've said there's something wrong because we believe excitement is the only thing that counts. Is, is, is Quick success is the only thing that counts. But do you know what? For David for the disciples, and for many others throughout history. Look at Joseph. Joseph, before the dreams could be um, fulfilled, um, he had 13 years as a slave and then in prison. Do you know where God formed him? When he was a slave and in prison. That's why when he ended up prime minister of Egypt, it didn't ruin him because he was prepared. And in these last years, many of us, including me, have at times complained the wasted years. You know, oh, there's so many things we could have done. Have we gone backwards? Uh, What have I done with my life? And do you know what? Sometimes we've missed it. We've missed what Jesus is doing behind the scenes. Do not despise the day of small things. Do not despise the day of small things. I want to finish with this, and we're going to pray. And we're going to ask Jesus to do whatever he wants. Um, about 30 years ago, I was invited to speak, to speak a camp in Finland um, called the Dynamite Camp. And it was in uh, near a town called Uvascula, have I said that right? Uh, by a lake. And I went to speak, there was young, young people there. And on the, the second afternoon, a young person asked if he could talk to me. And I said, okay. And he said, can we go somewhere quiet? Because I don't want anyone to overhear. And I looked around and I said, well, there's a bench there overlooking the lake. Why don't we go and sit there? No one's nearby. And we went and sat there. And this boy told me his story. And it was tragic. He said, my name is Timo. And I am 16 years old. And up until the age of nine, my father used to come home drunk regularly because he was alcoholic. And he would beat me and he would beat my mother And I was too small to stop him to do anything about it. And it was so frightening. It was so scary. And then when I was nine years old, one day, he left the house and he has never come back. And to this day, I don't know if he's alive or dead. I don't know if he's alive or dead. And he said, I'm confused because half of me hates him for what he did to us and then leaving us but the other half of me longs to know how he is and wants to know if he's okay. And he said, whenever people like you teach about God's father love, I can't hear that. It makes me want to be sick because, because the only father I've known did terrible things to me and then abandoned me. Well, I listened to him and I prayed with him. The next afternoon, he asked if he could speak to me again. And we talked through it all again. And this time he said, oh, um, by the way, I want you to know I have made my avowal. I have made myself a promise that I will never ever get married or have children because I'm afraid that I might have my father's genes and I don't want to ever risk doing to my wife and children what my father did to my mother and me. I prayed with him and uh, we talked and I prayed. The third afternoon was the last afternoon. And they were going to collect me at the end of the afternoon and take me to the airport to fly home. Uh, Timo came and he asked to talk to me again. And uh, we went and sat on the bench. And this time, I was wearing this, do you call it a jumper? A, a sweater, a cardigan. It was with thick white wool. that I had bought this actually from Bergen in Norway. You know, in the old town. And it was my favourite cardigan, sweater. It was thick white wool, bright white. It was very expensive. I loved it. It felt great. And what can I say? It was my size. It was extra, extra, extra medium. <laughs> oh, thank you for laughing at that. And... Um, And I loved it. It was my favorite. And uh, he was just in a t-shirt. And that afternoon, there was a cool breeze coming from the lake. And Timo said, hey, I'm a bit cold. Could we go inside? And um, at that point, the Lord spoke to me. And he said, lend him your cardigan. And I said, no. (laughs) Let him get his own cardigan. This is my cardigan. Anyway, it doesn't fit him. But the Lord kept saying, lend him your cardigan. So I said, Timo, would you like to borrow my cardigan? So he said, oh, are you sure? I said, yes, yes, I took it off. And he said, won't you get cold? And I said, no, I have central heating. (laughs) And um, he put it on, and it looked ridiculous on him. I mean, the the cardigan went down to here. It was like a dress. You couldn't see his arms. It It was like he was wearing a woolen tent. Anyway, after a while talking, he started going like this. On the cardigan, he said, this cardigan, this jumper feels really nice. And then to my horror, the Lord said to me, give him your cardigan. At this point, I seriously considered becoming a Buddhist. (laughs) And I was like, Lord, it's my favorite cardigan. Why should I give him my cardigan? It's my favorite. I, I, it costs loads of money, and anyway, it doesn't fit him, he'll never wear it, it's like a tent on him, but the Lord kept saying, give him your cardigan, and in the end, you know what it's like with God, you have to give in, don't you, for a peaceful life, and and so I said, so I said, Timo, if you like the cardigan, you can keep the cardigan, he said, are you serious, and I said, yes, I'm serious, (laughs) anyway, he was, he was feeling it like that, they came to collect me for the airport, I said goodbye to him, we drove to the airport, I got on the plane, and honestly, I remember, as I was flying back to England, I was cross. I was cross with God, and I was cross with myself that I'd given in. And it was like, why on earth? That doesn't make any sense. That's just stupid. He's never going to, I mean, it's a dress. I mean, what's he going to do? Suddenly become five times the size? Anyway, I got home, I forgot all about it. 16 years later, 16 years later, I was back in Finland in the uh, city of Turku in the south. And I had the privilege of speaking at the um, ev- uh, the pastor's conference of the Evangelical Church of Finland. And when I arrived, I was introduced to my translator and we went through my talks in case there were any concepts that were not easy to translate and then at one point now I spend about 40% of my year traveling in other countries and I need to tell you this honestly and I can say this because I've just arrived and no one's done it to me here yet but nearly everywhere I go at some stage there's always someone who wants to show me photos of their family and it's like why 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 (laughs) And my, this translator, he said, would you like to see photos of my wife and children? And I looked at him, and I wanted to say, just look at me. Is there anything about me that makes you think that I want to see photos of your wife and children? Why would I want to see photos? I don't care about your wife and children. But I didn't. I said, oh, all my life I have been waiting for this moment. <laughs> and then he showed me this photo of his wife, and, and he said, Isn't she the most beautiful woman in the world? And I mean, I looked at the photo and she was all right. <laughs> but I said, Oh my goodness. Oh, how did you manage that? How did you manage to marry such a, a, a beautiful, beautiful, stunningly gorgeous woman? And he looked very pleased and he said, Wait till you see my two girls. Anyway, then he showed me photos of his two li- little girls. And, you know, I I said, please take the photos away. They're blinding my eyes. Are they girls or are they perhaps angels in disguise? And he was really pleased with that. Anyway, we did the the meetings. Uh, I did the talks. This man translated. And on the final meeting, just before the meeting, my translator said to me, before you speak, I want to speak. And I thought, I'm sure that's not how it's supposed to work, but it's Finland. I mean, <laughs> don't forget. And, uh, <clears throat> and, and, and so I said, okay, if you want to. And he got up and he spoke in Finnish and in English so that I would understand. And he said, my name is Timo. 16 years, I'm 32 years old, 16 years ago when I was 16, this is absolutely true, I went to a camp by the town of Juvaskula, by a lake in the centre of Finland. Mike was the speaker, he doesn't remember me. But he listened to me for three afternoons as I told him about my dad and what he did when he was drunk to my mother and myself myself and how he then left when I was nine and I never saw him again. And I told Mike that I'd made a vow that I would never get married and have children because I didn't want to risk doing to my family what my father did to me. And then on the last afternoon, I was cold. I said I was cold. And Mike gave me his cardigan. (laughs) Mike gave me his cardigan. And I could tell that it was important to Mike. And then he left. But what Mike doesn't know was that cardigan changed my life. What he didn't know was that I'd never been given gifts. When my dad was with us, he never bought me a present for my birthday or for Christmas. And after he left, my mum and I said, we knew we loved each other, but we didn't have any money. We wouldn't, we wouldn't waste money on gifts. And I had been telling Mike how I struggled to trust God and his love for me and that he could look after me and that he could be any kind of father. And then, as I'd been saying all that stuff, this stranger gave me a present of a a cardigan that I knew he loved. And from that moment, I started to hope that maybe God could meet me in my pain. Maybe God could heal me maybe God could set me free. And he said, now, 16 years later, I have a beautiful wife and two wonderful daughters. I can show you photos. (laughs) And I've been healed. And then he reached down into a bag and he took out the jumper and he turned to me And he said, this is the jumper you gave me, the cardigan you gave me 16 years ago. I never thought I would see you again, but I kept it. Today, I give it back to you. It's done its job. And I want to tell you, I will have that cardigan till I die. It's in my chest of drawers every now and then when i wonder what god is up to i take it out and i just look at it and i remember i had no idea do not despise the day of small things in the hidden place in the lonely place in the boring place god not only prepares you but he even uses you he uses you with david i finish with this with david You know, he was Israel's great worship leader. He was Israel's great songwriter. Where do you think he wrote his best songs? Number 23 in their hymn book. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He didn't write that in a palace. He wrote that on the backside of a hill at three o'clock in the morning, practicing his harp while the sheep were asleep. Where do you think he learned to be the great warrior of Israel? In chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, when Israel was faced with the giant Goliath and no, everyone was afraid to go to him. Little David said, I'll go and fight him. And when King Saul said, what are you talking about? Have you seen the size of him? He has been a fighting man since his youth, and you are just a boy. Do you know what David says? He says, he says your servant has been practicing kung fu. <laughs> he doesn't say that, does he? I lied. Do you know what he said? He said, your servant has been looking after sheep. Now, I don't know what gets you into the Swedish, Norwegian, Danish, or Finnish armies. But in England, if you apply to enter the Marines, and in your interview, they say to you, what qualifies you to be in the English Marines? And you say, I've been hanging out with sheep. You're not going to get very far. (laughs) But then David says... When I was looking after the sheep and a bear or a lion came to attack the sheep, I killed the bear and the lion. This Philistine will be like one of them. He learned to be a warrior defending the sheep in the lonely, the boring and the hidden place. And finally, that's where he, he learned to be shepherd of Israel. It was the anointing when Samuel anointed him, but it was also the The years in the hidden, the lonely, the boring place. Final sentence. My dear brothers and sisters, don't be Big Mac Christians. Be Sahara Lounge Chicken Christians. Let him marinate you. Let him cook you slowly so that you taste delicious to a world that is desperate for reality and for depth. Now, what we're going to do is we're just going to wait on the Lord for a little while. You know what? I took this out to find, so I would stop, but I forgot to look at what time I started. But anyway, <laughs> I've stopped now. <laughs> um, why don't we just wait on the Lord? Now, no one needs to do anything. No one needs to sing or prophesy or shout or fly or anything like that. We're just going to wait for a bit, okay? And uh, I'm going to ask the Lord just to lead us. No idea of what he wants to do. If he does more, we stay here longer. If he does less, we go and find some chocolate. But let's let's just wait. And, Father, we... Uh, We don't take ourselves seriously, but we take you very seriously. You're a wonderful saviour, and you do such a thorough job, a great job, of preparing your people, of doing deep works in your people. And now, Lord, I pray that you would anoint us, as you did the first disciples, as you did David and many others. Come, Lord, and anoint us. But also, Lord, Lord, take whatever time you need to change us in the lonely and the boring and the hidden places of our lives. We welcome you, Spirit of God. We welcome you. Move in this place. Now just wait. Wait until the Holy Spirit meets with you.